Hi, this is the Good Gym Guide podcast. My name's Guy Lockhead. I'm a personal trainer and weightlifting coach working in Bristol. I believe most gyms are designed to serve their owners, not their users, and that the current fitness monoculture excludes loads of people. In 2016, I started the first cooperatively run gym in the UK, Bristol Cooperative Gym, to try to offer an alternative to this. In this podcast, I talk to other people working on the fringes of the fitness industry about their work, the problems they see in the mainstream gym model, and what their ideal training environment would look like. For this, the last episode of this series, I spoke with Darren Faulkner, one of the founders of Primal Gym in Leeds. When I asked Darren to imagine his ideal training environment, he paused for a while, looked around, and then said that he felt that Primal Gym was pretty much it. He's in the rare and enviable position of having made his dream gym a reality. In this interview, he talks us through the systems he's put in place to bring people into this vision and help them achieve what they want from their training. Everything's been thought through, from the design of the entrance and the waiting area to the initial tour, consultation and ongoing training. Primal Gym was named by The Telegraph in 2017 as the best facility in the UK for those who hate the gym. So where better to learn about alternative gym design? There's a huge amount to digest here, but I'll do my best to summarise and reflect on all the pertinent advice Darren gives at the end. Enjoy! I'm a very principled person, and I'm very cynical as well. And for my money, most of the gyms out there are just ripping people off. Uh, they will argue, and for sure, they'll say, well, we're just providing a place to train. We're not trying to help people to train. That's eh, not quite what their marketing is implying. We knew from the beginning that we didn't want a situation where we had 3,000 members and only 500 of them ever come to the gym. We knew there was a market for people that wanted to train differently. So really, that's how it, the space sort of thing came around. We knew that we were going to have a limited membership, that we were going to keep it capped. We know we want functional training. We want people moving. We want people to almost be replicating more how they played at school. We know that we want it to be a community. We don't want it to just be 14,000 faceless, nameless people that no one has really met before. We want people to work together in that small community. In order to train them properly, we need space for functional training and in order to do all of that we knew that we needed to have open space we didn't want to clutter the place with machines the rest of it things like the lighting through the window was just really by chance to be honest so really i mean it wasn't so much from my perspective originally the space that we've created is more a reflection of how we wanted to train people and what I thought was wrong with the health industry. Rather than sort of coming at it from a logistics perspective, it was more about knowing, as I saw it, knowing what was wrong with the health industry right from an anatomical standpoint upwards. And the understanding, as I saw it, of what needed to change in terms of actually how to help people properly as opposed to you know, no offence to people who are doing that, but rather than just standing around with a badge, sort of showing people how to do a bicep curl, etc., the actual whole ethos, what was needed in order to facilitate that was then the natural evolution of we shouldn't have 
rows and rows of machines that it shouldn't be cluttered with machines that only do one thing uh mike boyle famous trainer in the states i was asking him some advice on setting this place up and he said the best advice i can give you in terms of the actual equipment setup is don't buy any machine that only does one thing if it only does one thing it means you can only have one person using it at a time and it means it will be an isolated movement machine and for most people it's not what's needed so it was more a question of the space just came about because we knew how we wanted to train people. We wanted our training based on movement. We wanted people moving functionally. If you want to go for a run, go outside, run around the river. I mean, we're a little bit lucky here that we've got that sort of area, but uh, you know, there isn't anything that most people do in a gym, cardio-wise, that can't be done outside. And for the most part, you ask people what's the most boring part of your gym visit for most people it will be stuck on one machine doing running or whatever so we knew we didn't want that we wanted to be able to for example have room for assessing people's movement have people jog up and down a track so we can watch what their gait is like so the whole thing was really focused from a assess and then functionally correct things as opposed to you know how many people can we get in this gym how many people can we sit in in a row as it were i suppose we were built much more from helping people to achieve their goals rather from how many people can we get in here as membership numbers i mean we get a lot of people come in here who will walk in look petrified but slightly excited and say i've no idea what i would do in here but i want to give it a try more because they know what the thing that they don't want to do looks like. This doesn't look anything like that. So even though they're a little bit uh, anxious, there is that still that sort of excitement of, oh my God, this looks a little bit like a playground. This looks like what I used to do when I was a kid, just lots of running around. I wanted it to be that when you walked into reception, there was a smiling face on reception. There was somebody, usually, if you're a member here, we know almost every member's name. So when you come through, we wanted it to be almost like the cheers thing. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of CrossFit in terms of the application of the modality. There's nothing, no such thing as a bad exercise, just bad prescription. The problem with CrossFit for me is the same as the problem with the uh, body pump stuff in that when it first started there was lots of assessments and lots of screening that needed to be done as soon as the money started rolling in it was like screw all the safety stuff let's just get as many people as we can doing this so the 25 percent injury rate that it tends to carry with it is largely down to malprescription and no assessing of anybody first of all so you pick up tons of shoulder injuries however what they do fantastically is build that community aspect and you know if you can keep people in a community they'll keep coming. The main reasons that we found that people leave gyms, number one, because they don't get results. They don't get results because no one's assessing them and no one really cares about their results. What they care about is lending them equipment for 18 pounds a month or whatever. Number two, there's no feedback. So if there's no feedback, how am I doing? I've no idea. And then also that community feeling and making sure that people aren't getting injured. So there were elements that we, we sort of pinched a little bit from other companies that are other things that were good. And we tried to build a space that incorporated, I guess, as many of the good aspects of what other people were doing and what I saw was good in the industry and get rid of as many of the um, negative aspects, which really happened very organically, to be honest. I mean, we've had a few bodybuilder types come in here with their 
and sleeveless vests and things. And, you know, lovely guys, great guys. They did maybe a couple of weeks here and moved on for various reasons, I think. People weren't stopping in their tracks to admire their biceps and things like that. You know, it's not that type of a gym. There's no ego here. We've got some lifters here who are competing in the British Championships. There's no ego. We've got some guys here who are extremely strong, 300 kilo plus deadlifts, etc. No egos. So anybody that does come in. Likewise, when we first opened, the first year we were open, or maybe second, we had a couple of girls come in with the sort of short, short shorts and, uh, you know, the makeup and the sort of push-up bra type training thing. It looked very out of place. And in about two hours of training, I get the impression anyway, they felt very awkward. They didn't quite know what to do with themselves. They sort of came in expecting everybody to be quite impressed with their uh, physiques. And um, it sort of just didn't fit really well. So anytime we've never had to say to people, listen, I don't think this is going to be a good fit, but people seem to just naturally kind of uh, know, okay, this is or this isn't the place for me, which is fantastic. It's exactly what we want. We don't want to take everybody on. We want the people that are, yeah, our type of people, people that have sort of lost faith a little bit in the rest of the industry, how they're working, fed up with sort of cliques and gyms and, you know, I can't go in there because that's the that's the, the doorman's area or whatever. I need to be over here because that's the pink dumbbell and aerobic step-up area, etc. And we try to just completely do away with it, all of that. Once people do come in, the first thing is we take them around the gym. We have a good touring system where we'll find out first what they're interested in. I think this is an area that's very common in the health industry as a whole. What happens generally is you'll come in for a tour and the gym instructors or the person who's going to take you for the tour can't wait to take you to the bits that they like. We've got a brand new boxing ring. Let me take you to see the boxing ring. We've got the best platforms in the country. So let me take you to see the platforms. It's all features. People aren't interested in features. What they're interested in is the benefits. How is this going to help me? It's a fantastic platform. It's a fantastic boxing ring. But how is it going to help me? Because what I told you when I first came in was I wouldn't know what to do here. You've just shown me two things that I don't know how to use. So what we do is find out from them, what is it that you're interested in? What's your goals? What do you like doing? What don't you like doing? If they've never been to a gym before, what activities do you like doing? And then kind of try and focus the, the tour around them so they feel a bit more comfortable. We have a 45 minute induction in which we go through basically find out what their goals are, find obviously usual stuff, medical and things like that, but find out what their goals are. We put them on the in-body machine, which gives us a breakdown of their body fat, their muscle levels. It tells us where the fat is and how it's distributed, where the muscle is and how it's distributed, water levels, electrolytes, all sorts of stuff. From that, then we, with them, we identify in terms of your metrics, is there anything that you particularly want to work on or prioritize? And we normally break our goals into three-month blocks. 
And from once we've got that three-month idea of what we should be achieving, we then break that down into monthlies so that we know, right, this is our milestones every month. We do monthly catch-ups with our members and keep them moving feedback, adjust, feedback, adjust, etc. Once we've gone through that and set that with them, then we go outside onto the track and do a functional movement screen. Even if they don't sign up, we still need to know right from the bat what's there movement, their stability and their mobility like. It's such a out of the ordinary to have that done, a proper metric scan and a proper functional movement screen right off the bat. I think partly people, their apprehension is allayed partly because it's just quite exciting. They think, I've never had any of this stuff done before. Partly because they know that what they've come from, their, their previous gym, didn't do any of this so even though when that voice in their head says this is boring i want something different to this even though they don't understand exactly what it is we're doing right off the bat they can tell right i wanted something different no one's ever done this stuff with me before this is different so there's a sort of an intrigue there right off the bat and because in order to do a in-body and a functional movement screen the coach actually has to understand something they're sort of instantly feel comfortable that okay these guys actually understand what they're talking about so if they fail their squat screen and we can explain to them why they failed their squat and why when they put their heels up slightly the whole squat form completely changes usually there'll be some reference to an issue did you have any problems with your right knee recently oh i have actually yeah i had some knee problems last month Boom. straight away they just think right it doesn't matter that i don't know what i'm doing in here because these guys are smart and they know what they're doing in here i mean we do have people that come in they're unsure they go through the screen they go through the in body for them it's a little bit overwhelming it's like i just wanted to go somewhere and do 40 minutes on a running machine or whatever and we advise those people okay like try this place or this place go next door see holly do some yoga instead maybe so that's basically how we uh, get people through that fear of it being new we did worry at the beginning that women would particular would walk in take one look and just think wow this is obviously a guy's gym i have no place in here but we are 50 50 straight down the middle in terms of memberships and i'd say the females are just as active in terms of lifting competitions and boxing and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, the things that people enjoy doing are the things that are lacking in most gym setups. If training was fun, you wouldn't have to tell. Like, why do people go to the pub rather than going training? Because going to the pub is fun. When you were a kid, why was going outside, you know, come on, dinner's ready, oh, just 10 more minutes. Why would we rather stay outside playing than we would Go, go indoors and eat our dinner because playing was fun. Uh, community, you know, nobody wants to go to the pitches on their own, although I quite enjoy it. <laughs> but, you know, you want to go, no one wants to go to the pub on their own. You want to be part of a community. You know, everything we are since we walked off the plains of Africa basically has been about communities, people belonging to something. And if you feel like you belong to something, hence our kind of motto that I came up with, belong, be strong, be better. Um, this idea that uh, as long as you can create a community. If people say, I need to go to the gym tonight because I want to have a chat with Bob or I'm supposed to be uh, seeing Sharon, rather than I need to go to the gym because I've got to get my workout done, 
My biggest influence for training, if I'm honest, was when I was a kid, just being climbing trees and kicking a ball around and, you know, a, a big open dirt space with lumps of mud and stones to me wasn't a big open waste of space that needed building on. It was a, right, this is where we're playing football. This is where we're going we're gonna to invent the long jump. Uh, pit. This is where we're going to set up, break down some sticks and build a high jump thing and we'll go and get some, find an old mattress from around the bins or something and we'll have that as our, you know, any area, any space we found as kids. I grew up on a on a pretty crappy little estate and um, it's mostly concrete so anywhere we found a space, some trees or anything like that, it was used to death for you know, various ways we could either invent to torture ourselves or to test ourselves or to challenge ourselves or whatever. So they were probably the most influential um, or influences of space for me as opposed to gyms. Um, and then as I went through period of time um, working in gyms, I suppose to a degree that sort of got washed away from me because it was just, this is what's normal now, this is a gym. And because I wanted to work in gyms, I sort of just went in and worked in those gyms. But I was always aware of how just artificial, I guess is the best word, it was this training thing where I sit on this thing and I do this, and then I look at the clock for a bit and then I do this. And then I get off of that thing and I move to the next thing and the person who's alongside me is glad I've got off that thing because their program says that the next thing they need to do is the thing that I was just on. This is so boring. It's like the rest times in particular just sat there on the machine not daring to get off because if you got off someone else would jump on it. This is as far from that evolutionary starter point as we could possibly be. And then um, when I started to get interested in um, corrective exercise and stuff, first started studying with Paul Check, he showed me a picture which was the gym of the future. And it was this, uh, he'd sort of built it up as this really smart guy who's come up with this fantastic, advanced, super state-of-the-art for the future gym. And then he put the picture up on the screen and it was like my old sports school when I was a kid, a sports hall. Monkey bars, climbing ropes, benches on the floor that you had to traverse, crash mats that you would run and pile into. And it was essentially just, you know, throw a bunch of kids in there and just go... Try and do everything. Yay! And that was his image of the gym for the future. It was the gym of the past. Let's get away from all this nonsense. And that was what really kicked me off, starting to think, okay, if I was going to have my own place, it's going to be like when I was a kid, running and swinging on things and jumping on things and grabbing things. And then as I started to look at more of the people in the industry that I respected, from Czech, I've sort of found Mike Boyle, Eric Cressy, uh, Gray Cook, people like that. I started to notice that their gyms were all set up like that as well. There weren't tons and tons of machines. A few of them had rowing machines or, or running machines, etc. But the vast majority of them were just for movement. And as I spoke to Mike Boyle about, you know, I'm setting up a new gym, have you got any advice? His thing was space, space, space. As much space as you can give to space, do that. If you can get an outside area, absolutely do that and then don't fill it with anything that only does one thing. We are very much built around the personal training model 
more so than the gym. And for the personal training model, it has to be personal. When people are talking, listen, pay attention to what they're saying, use people's names. What you get in most gyms is just four or five gym instructors chatting to each other all night or talking to the receptionist. You know, it's not their fault. That's the culture that's been that's been built. They just want somebody to stand around and make sure nobody hurts themselves for, you know, six pounds an hour, whatever it might be. We knew we were going to be a higher priced gym. So we worked on this equation, the value equation, customer experience plus relationships plus results. If somebody's being picked over you every time, it's because they're building better relationships than you are. That's where it starts is having a staff that are attentive to people and a culture that says the member comes first, not the membership. One of the biggest problems in the industry is, uh, I know, I already know that. We get so many people, clients and trainers alike in the industry that come to you for help, come to you for advice or whatever, and then as soon as you try and help them, I, I know, I know, and trainers are the worst culprits of it. Like, I've, you know, for the first six months after I did my first premier courses, you know, I thought I was on a par with, like, with top surgeons. And, you know, I thought I knew everything. It wasn't until I got to the point where I realized how little I knew, probably the first point at which I actually had some credibility in terms of knowledge was when I realized, my God, I don't know anything. There are some really smart people out there that are just just dwarfed my knowledge on this stuff. And I think that's something that doesn't really ever get looked at in the health industry. Have you got your qualification? Yes, I have. Brilliant. And we can sign the insurance papers so we don't get sued by anybody. Right, get going. There's your shorts. Off you go. And then there's never any real development beyond that. You know, I've met people that have been in the industry for 10 or 15 years who can't remember the last uh, time they did an educational course. It's crazy. So... Um, yeah, that is another area as well, the importance of having your trainers working together rather than against each other all the time and then helping them to, to, to develop their knowledge and their areas of expertise. I mean, all of our trainers have an area of expertise, a definitive area of expertise. If you come into most gyms and you're asking, right, who does the best fat loss or muscle building like every you know read trainers bios uh, i specialize in fat loss muscle building body sculpting uh stretching and flexibility work Mo right so you specialize in nothing then basically we try and encourage the trainers look if you've got a passion don't feel like going for that passion is going to exclude you from everything else that's not how the world works anymore the world is about niches now and people want niches so if you've got a passion and an expertise Follow it, train it, educate it, learn it to the best of your abilities. Don't be one of 10 trainers that can do everything. Be one of one trainer that can specialize in that one thing. My image for setting this place up was that there will be a time when around a big table, a bit like when Steve Jobs changed the music industry, there is going to be a big table of people with all the big wigs from all the big gyms in the world sitting around and the discussion is going to be, guys, we need to change the way that we train people because what we are doing isn't working anymore. People aren't buying into that. I didn't, and then those big box gyms go and change the way that they train people. 
happen so that the whole industry changes. Those big companies with a lot of influence and a lot of members change what they're doing to be in line with what, the way that we do things and the way that other like-minded gyms do things. We weren't interested in being super sort of super rich and taking the gym industry by storm financially, a bit like Pure Gym did for a little while or whatever. Not interested in that at all. We don't want people out of the industry. We want people changing the way they do things. We want a conversation that says, guys, let's stop with all the machines. Let's hire smarter coaches. Let's be part of a better education system. When I started in the industry, you had to go away and do a 10-week course to become a personal trainer. That was with Premier. Now you can go away for the weekend, come back, and you're a qualified personal trainer, qualified to work on people's bodies. I wouldn't trust my car with someone that had done a weekend qualification, let alone my body. And the truth is that most of the people who get injured in the industry are injured because the trainer and the gym had absolutely no clue what they were doing. It's lucky that we don't live in America because they're a litigious society and we, you wouldn't get away with some of the stuff that I see or I've seen before you'd be sued out of existence. If you don't know how to deliver results, like Alan Cosgrove said, stop charging people money, learn how to get results, and then start charging people money again, otherwise you're just a fraud. And for my mind, that's a big part of what's wrong with the industry. It's just quite a fraudulent industry. For the last two or three years, if you read the sort of end-of-year industry reports on, on, you know, state of play in the industry, for the last few years they've been talking about this is pretty much the death of the big box gym now. People aren't interested in that type of training anymore. They're much more interested in the smaller, bespoke, boutique-type places that are far more focused on individuals rather than memberships and actually have smart trainers that understand how fitness and health works. So I think the trend in the industry, you know, I like to, our goal from the beginning was to change the industry. We probably were on the, on the tide of that as that was actually happening. Virgin can put as many platforms in their gym, as many battle ropes and swinging ropes as they like. You cannot recreate that culture that we have here of fun community and results. And if you do copy us, because you've copied the culture, fantastic, brilliant, because that's what we wanted. We wanted people to copy that culture and basically change the shape of the industry so that people actually get results and enjoy themselves rather than constantly feeling like failures because the gym is so utterly boring to go to. It really is hard to know how to start here. When Darren and I sat down and recorded the interview, we spoke for about 40 minutes, which included a lot of me waffling. And when I was editing it, it was hard to cut out much of what he said because so much of it felt important. Maybe let's start by talking about values. If you watch any of the introductory videos on Primal Gym's YouTube channel, every coach that's interviewed refers to their three values of fun, community and results. It's clear that this isn't just a marketing slogan, but that the staff really embody those ideals. Holding those values at heart like that seems to have meant that the culture of the environment has stayed true without the need for formal rules. 
Similarly, I think the amount of opportunities for feedback and the contact with members, both individually and in a community or group setting, keeps everybody involved on task and prevents that culture from drifting. It also acts as a form of accountability that helps people stay on course to their goals and their reasons for training. There's an idea of functionality at Primal Gym that extends beyond just the training philosophy to influence many of the other systems and processes. Everything is measurable, trackable, with the endpoint of improved function and performance. For example, the use of the in-body scanner and the functional movement screening in the initial consultation, rather than more woolly kind of feelings-based self-assessment of our current state. We know that tracking progress makes us more likely to stick to the habits that affect it, so there are huge benefits to this if you're a goal-orientated person. Perhaps surprisingly, there may also be benefits in terms of body image. Drs. Jessica Aleva and Philippa Diedrichs at UE's world-leading Centre for Appearance Research have developed a functionality appreciation scale. They say that body functionality has been identified as an important dimension of body image that has the potential to be useful in the prevention and treatment of negative body image and in the enhancement of positive body image. Specifically, cultivating appreciation of body functionality may offset appearance concerns. I hope to do a podcast interview with them at some point. So perhaps one way of getting away from bullshit diet culture might be to reframe quantities of fat and muscle mass in terms of how they serve certain functional or performance goals if someone has them, or to reject the whole quantitative approach if someone just wants to train because it feels good and improves their health. Those are separate interests to both how our body is seen by society and how our body performs in competitive situations, and they don't necessarily have anything to do with body composition. We also know, however, that that approach doesn't work for everyone. And Darren says as much in how Primal Gym knows its audience and redirects other people to yoga studios and other training spaces. This is what excites me though, the idea of a pluricultural range of places that serve their particular audience very well, rather than a monoculture that serves a very small percentage of the audience they attract, simply because nothing else is available. Darren made similar observations when he was talking about niches and personal training. Reaching the end of this series, I'm struck by how many times common themes have emerged across the different interviews. I think everyone has mentioned wanting to train outside. Many people have mentioned play, community, belonging, natural light, water. I'm going to start creating a sort of pattern language informed by the visionary architect Christopher Alexander to keep a track of these recurrent ideas. And then one day we can hopefully make a place that fulfills them all. Anyway, thanks so much to Darren. I've thought about our conversation a lot since we had it, and editing this has reignited all that again. I'll put links to Primal Gym on the episodes page at thegoodgymguide.co.uk, as well as links to any of the other things mentioned. Thank you so much, as always, to Yaz Clark and Steph Weiss for all their hard work on sound and graphic design, respectively. I really, really appreciate it. My plan now is to gather more interviews for another series, And in the meantime, I'll sporadically put out little episodes about specific aspects of fitness culture that I find interesting and important to subvert. For example, definitions of health and fitness are far more contentious than we would perhaps think. I also want to do special episodes on a wonderful gym I came across on a hill in Malaysia and about Soviet exercise disco, for example. Lots of fun. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the others, let me know. It's been quite a bit of work putting all this together, but I've done it because... I feel like this stuff is really important. The stakes are high. It's about our bodies and our health and our feelings towards those things. 
And these are currently being manipulated by an ever-growing industry that profits from us feeling bad, or at least a bit lost and powerless. We've heard six perspectives on ways of doing this better, and there are many more too. I want to devote my time to exploring these and growing this conversation, so please share episodes, leave reviews, get in touch and all that. Okay, thank you very much for listening. See you in a bit.